Welcome back once again, folks. Uh, today we're looking at Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 26. Heavenly Father, simply come before you and just ask that you would teach me. Teach us, God. Open our eyes to see your word, Lord. We fix our eyes on you. You are our desire. You are the one our heart longs for. God, you're the only answer we have. There's not hope in anything else but you. There's nothing lasting in anything but you. So, Father, we fix our eyes on you. As we look at your word, Holy Spirit, come, consume us, teach us, guide us, direct us. Lord, we are yours. You are the potter. We are the clay. You shape us and mold us, Father. We yield to you. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 26. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him wherever he goes in, say to the master of that house, the teacher says, where is the guest room? in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples. Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. So he sent his disciples out, and, and they came into the city, and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. In the evening he came with the twelve. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful, and to say to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said, It is it is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, when he had given thanks, and he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said, This is the blood, this is my blood, of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day, when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out on to the Mount of Olives. So we've got a couple things going on. It seems like that's always what we've got going on. But um, so as we look at this, the Passover's coming and they're getting ready. Um, so one of the first things that kind of really jumped out to me is actually um, right in, that, in the beginning. So Jesus is out there and um, he sends two of his disciples out um, to get things ready. He tells them, he gives them the exact instructions of what, instructions of what they need to do, exactly where they need to go and how it's all going to work out. But it's not like he said, go to this house and you'll find things are already ready. Um, it's not like he told them to go to a specific place, but he just kind of said, go. Um, he says, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where's the guest room, which I may eat the Passover with my disciples. So it's not like he's saying, hey, you're going to find this guy. I talked to him already. Everything's ready. It's just, no, go and you're going to follow this guy to a house. And when you ask, everything's going to be okay. Um, which just, it just strikes me as interesting. I'm not, I mean, I'm assuming, and it, it, it's an assumption that there's, there was just something there that um, in this time people would know people are coming. So they'd have spare, they'd have spare rooms set up. They'd have extra places set up because in that community, it was, it was one of those things that they would take in the travelers. There wasn't always um, 
there weren't always hotels and different thing in different things like that like we see in um in the um, in the story on Christmas, there was no room for them in the inn, but it's not uncommon. It wasn't uncommon for people to take in travelers and such like that, especially on Passover time. But they had this, they had this place. It was already, it was already set up. It was already ready. Um, and Jesus said, "Follow this guy, and you'll find him." Um, but one of the things that really kind of jumped out to me, um, they went out and they came to the city. They found what he was doing, and then in verse seventeen, it says, "In the evening, he came with the twelve. So it just kind of caught my attention because as we're going through, I always pictured as, at least as I was growing up and it's just the kind of way, the way, the way my brain works is that I figured Jesus had his 12 disciples and I always forget that there were so many more that followed him. There were other disciples that wasn't just the 12 that we hear about. Um, so in this case, he actually sent out um, two of the other people following him. It wasn't two of the 12 that we consider um, or at least think of when we think of the disciples, but he sent out, he sent out a couple others and they're the ones that went and made the preparations for this thing. And I just got to thinking about there's times when in my life, when I felt kind of like, um, I've been sent to do something a little different or, I, or I'm in, or I'm in some place and everything just feels a little out of place. Like I'm not, I don't necessarily quite fit in with everybody else or I've got a slightly different job. And that just kind of looking at this. He sent two pe- two people that were following him. He took and sent them. A- he sent them to do something different while he went on with the rest of the twelve and the others that were following him. And it just got me thinking that there's times when we're not always going to be even in the church. We're not always going to be with the crowd. We're going to have we're going to have some an assignment. We're going to have something that God's kind of like put on our hearts to do some instructions that we've been given, and that's okay. Um, I mean, because we see here they went and they did what they were told to do, and then the rest of them showed up. So just through that, really, folks, I want to encourage you to just kind of like fix your eyes on Jesus and walk the road that he set before you. Go ahead and just do what it is that he's put on your heart to do. Um, If you're seeking to follow him, he's going to keep you in line. I believe that um, with everything that I've got. I believe completely that if if we're seeking to follow Christ, if if our heart is to follow him, he's going to keep us on track. He's going to guide us. Um, if we if we don't want to miss him, if we don't want to just get off and do our own thing, he's going to keep us on track. You're going to get those convictions. You're going to get that direction. You're going to get that leading from him. So whatever you've got set up for you, just kind of walk in that, walk in that with with faithfulness and trust that um, there's going to come a point in time when kind of everything's going to come back around and God's going to start to make things a little bit more clear. Um, so just make sure that we're being faithful to what we have to do and realize that there's nothing insignificant. There's nothing, there's not a task that God's going to ask you to do that doesn't really matter. So, I mean, these guys here in verse 17 or in this, in this first portion, anyways, um, they were getting dinner ready. They were preparing for the feast. They weren't out. Um, they weren't walking with Jesus. Some seeing him heal people. They weren't seeing the miracles. They weren't doing those things. They weren't there. Um, spreading the word they weren't there teaching they went and they were preparing the passover dinner they were preparing the feast it was something that was very important um and if it hadn't been for their preparation we wouldn't have the rest of the things that come after this um at least not the way that we see it um he would have had to send somebody else to do it but just because it doesn't feel like you're right there in that inner circle you're still in the position um, where God can use you. So just be faithful in what he's given you and just kind of seek that out and realize there's nothing insignificant. When God gives you something to do, he knows what he's doing. He knows the plans 
that he's got set out and he knows what lies ahead. So just be faithful in doing the things that you're doing, even when it feels like maybe you've been sent to do something. Everybody else is over here with Jesus seeing miracles and all these things and you're setting tables. Um, be faithful in the things that you've been given to do because there's no insignificant tasks. And then we see that in the evening, Jesus came. So Jesus still showed up and they still um, they still had that feast. They still had that time with him. Um, so moving on in verses 18 through 21, it says, Now, as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they all began to be sorrowful and say to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? So we, they're eating and Jesus just tells them point blank, one of you is going to betray me. And keep in mind what we just looked at, that it was more than just the 12. So we don't know how many people were in this room, but there were... Well, probably at least 12, there were probably at least 14, 15 people in the room, if not more. But there was a group of people in this room and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And then he even narrows it down. And in verse 20, as everybody's asking, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? He answered them and said, it is one of the 12 who dips with me in the dish. So he, he narrows it down to one of the 12, one of those, one of the 12 that was closest to him. He knows straight up is going to betray him. And he says this, he, he, he makes this statement before he goes into um, establishing the Last Supper or the, or the Lord's Supper, however, whatever you prefer to call it. But he's not, he doesn't send anybody away. He's not even rebuking anybody. He's just telling them what's going to happen. He says, one of you, one of the 12 is going to betray me. And folks, Jesus knew exactly who it was and exactly what was about to happen. But yet we don't see that moving him. We don't see him. Um, we don't see him telling Judas to get out. You're not going to share food with me. Um, it's actually one who was close enough to him to dip into the same dish that he was using. So it's somebody with an arm's reach of Jesus. He knows is going to betray him. And he just continues on. He makes the statement and he keeps on going. Folks, there's going to be times when people are going to be close to us and we're going to feel betrayed that we may even be betrayed. But we can't spend our lives in it so easy, especially if you've been hurt by people um, or had different things happen. It's easy to kind of push people away and keep people at arm's length. But that's not what God's called us to do. We need to be in community. We need to be in relationship with each other. And the reality is, folks, if we get betrayed, we get betrayed. If somebody hurts us, they hurt us. We've just got to keep on going and look at, I mean, if we look at the big picture, what happened here. Our salvation wouldn't have even been established had Judas not actually betrayed Jesus. Had the, the word would not have been fulfilled. Prophecy would not have been completed if he hadn't actually gone and betrayed Jesus. So while was it unpleasant? Absolutely. Was it, was it painful? Was it a heartache? Absolutely. I mean, Judas ultimately takes his own life over this. But the reality is it had to happen. So there's going to be times in our life when we're going to, we're going to get hurt. We're going to get betrayed. Things aren't always going to be rosy, but God's working things together. God is laying out a plan. I look back through my life and there's, there've been some, there've been some, definitely some painful experiences, some trying times, times where I've straight up felt betrayed. Um, but then I look at the big picture and every one of those events has brought me to where I am right now. I wouldn't be the man that I am right now if it weren't for the things that have happened to me. I wouldn't be living in the house that I'm living. I wouldn't be working where I'm working. I wouldn't be doing the job I'm doing now had things not unfolded the way they did. So I don't understand always the way that God works, but I know that he's working. And I'm not sitting here saying that God 
and that God made everything happen just the way that it did. But the reality is, folks, I don't know how God works. Does God have the ability to sovereignly control everything? Absolutely. No doubt in my mind. God is sovereign. He has the ability to control absolutely everything. Why does he do what he do? Does that is beyond my understanding. He is God. I'm not. And I mean, even the smartest man, even the most intelligent, wise man that's ever walked this planet aside from Christ, um, compared to the compared to the wisdom that God has, the wisest man would be a fool. So, and I'm not, and I don't even consider myself a very wise man at times, but I know that I can trust in the God that loves me, that's leading me and guiding me. And no matter what happens, he's going to, he's going to take me where he wants me to go. If I'm willing to just follow him, there's nothing, there's nothing that is big enough to derail God's plans. If I'm willing to just walk in obedience, he'll work things out. He'll do what needs to happen. Um, and ultimately I'm not talking, when I say God's plans, I'm not talking about the specific place that he wants me to be, the, the job that he wants me to have, but the life that he wants me to live. He wants me to live a life that reveals his life, that reveals his love, his power, his everything that he is, he wants to reveal to the world through me, through us. Um, so that's the goal of my life. Um, little sidetrack on like purpose and because I was actually talking to someone just the other day and they're like, well, I'm trying to find out my purpose in life. I'm trying to find out my purpose in life. And I'm like, well, stop it. Um, because they were so caught up in trying to find God's purpose. They were missing God. They were missing. People get so caught up in trying to figure out what's God's purpose for me. What's God's plan for me? Where does he want me to go? What does he want me to do that? They miss him in the midst. The reality is folks, God wants you to walk out your days, live your life, and just reveal his love, reveal the son. We're to be image bearers of God. We're created in his image. We're supposed to walk that out. We're supposed to share the good news. It doesn't necessarily matter where you're working. It doesn't necessarily matter where you're living. Are there times when God's going to direct you to a certain place? Absolutely. But if you're seeking to follow God and you don't have a clear direction, just keep moving forward. I think one of the strategies the enemy loves to do he loves to use this to get us looking for the specific details of the next step when all God's saying is, hey, just keep walking down this road. Um, well, that's kind of interesting. Just as we're talking, it just kind of brought me back to what we just read at the beginning of this. So Jesus um, sent him in, he sent him into the town and said, you'll see a man with a water pitcher, follow him. Jesus didn't say you're going to go to this house. He said, you're going to go into town. You're going to see a man with a water pitcher, follow him. So he's not telling them all the details. He's not giving them all the specifics. He's not telling them exactly where to go. He's just saying, hey, go to this place, follow him. So go to this place and take the next step. Just keep going. Just keep following what I put in front of you and keep following the instructions that he's given us until until we see the next step. He's going to lead us. He's going to guide us, but he's going to want us to walk. And sometimes it's going to just be walking in faith, trusting that he's going to sort everything out and make everything known. But we've got to set our eyes on him and we've got to just walk. It, we've got to get past at times the things that we think, the things that we, the things that either we think we understand or just the things that we want, because it's really easy to get caught up in our own heads. And we've just got to be willing to walk in obedience to what he said and go where he wants us to go. And so we're looking at, so we're wrapping up with 21, um, where it says that, um, the son of man indeed goes just as it is, it, just as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been, been good for that man. If he had never been born, 
I have a hard time wrapping my mind around this, around this passage and, and some of the other ones just cons- around Judas. Um, Judas is one of those guys, one of those characters in the Bible that just really causes me to, um, to think sometimes I don't, I don't fully understand all of how that shapes out what happens with Judas, why God would play things, would let things play out a certain way. I don't understand it. I trust God. I know he's a good God. He's a loving God. Um, and certain things just have to happen that are beyond my understanding. But when Jesus just says it would be better if this man had never been born, it just kind of gets me, it, it, it just gets in my head a little bit. And I'm just like, I don't fully understand that for me. I don't have to, I don't, I'm not trying to get much deeper in that right now. Um, but just to know there's times when you're going to read stuff and this may make perfect sense to you, but for me, where I'm at right now, this, this just doesn't fully click. So I just kind of say, okay, I'm going to take that thought. I'm going to take that little passage. That's not really saying anything to me. I just going to kind of put it on a shelf and just kind of keep on moving. So verses 22 through 26, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out on the Mount of Olives. So this is really where God, um, where Jesus is establishing um, the, what, what some call the Lord's Supper, called communion. People know it by different names, but it's, it's the bread that represents his body. It's the, it's in this case, the wine that represents his blood. And he's, he, the bread was broken and it was, it was passed out. It, he's establishing that connection that re, this will ultimately go on to be something that is used to remember the death of Jesus, the breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood. Um, and it's a very, very powerful thing as we reflect, as we just slow down to kind of reflect, okay, so his body was broken for me. His body was destroyed. His body was beaten um, for our sins, for our, for everything that we deserved. His body was broken for that. And his blood was poured out. And in verse 24, it says, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. So he's establishing something. He, he's setting up this new covenant, this new agreement. Um, and in that time, covenants were sealed with blood. Uh, the covenant was was established um, and he's saying i've got a new covenant he's he's taking and he's establishing something new so he's fulfilling all of the old laws all the old things and he's saying there is something new in my blood something new is happening there was blood that was always shed for sin to to pay the price for sin the penalty for sin and jesus is really at this point in time establishing something new that his blood is the blood that is shed for the sins of all so that my blood doesn't have to be shed for the mistakes that I've made. I don't have to offer up animal sacrifices for the things that I've done. But I can just put my faith in Christ and in his sacrifice, what he has done, what he has established. And I can walk forward righteous and set right in God's eyes because I put my faith in Christ. And not just the fact that he paid for my sins, but the fact that he has established a new path for me. A new, a new way for me to live. Not the way that I used to live, but a new way. And set out something new before me. He has made me new. He has transformed me. So now by faith in him, I'll walk forward with hope. Um, knowing that the things that were totally beyond my control are still beyond my control. But they're in his. And I'm looking to him to guide me. 
and lead me. So really, folks, as we just, I would just say, take some time. I'm not going to get too much further into that, but take some time and just really kind of think to you, let God show you really, okay, so what does the body mean? What is what does the broken body of Christ represent? What does his blood represent? What is this new covenant? And just kind of take some time to pray about that and ponder on that and just don't rush it. Let God do what he wants to do and let him, let him just kind of build that bigger and bigger in you. Heavenly Father, I just so thank you for your truth, for your love. God, I thank you that you saw fit to send your son. God, when we were hopeless, when we were lost, when we were apart from you, you still chose to send your son to establish a new covenant, a new a new way of us interacting with you, not through the blood of bulls and goats, but God, through the blood of your son, you have, you look at us as righteous. You see us through the blood. You don't see us for all of our mess ups, but you see us as righteous, as made right, as set right, as drawn to you. And God, you continue to call us and draw us closer to you, that you would establish a new life in us, that we would be able to walk out a new way, that we'd be able to walk out a life in your image just revealing your love, your light, and the hope that comes in your son. God, I just thank you for the hope that comes in you, that there is nothing we can do that messes, to mess us up so bad that you won't call us back, that you won't, that you don't apply the blood on our behalf and that you don't see us as righteous when we come to you and repent and turn from the things that we've done and fix our eyes back on you and just continue to walk. God, you're never going to cast us away when we're trying to come to you. So Lord, I thank you for your grace that gives us the ability to even respond to you when it comes to you. But I thank you for your spirit that leads us and guides us and teaches us in all things. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would bless each and every one that is watching this and listening to this right now. God, that you would strengthen them in their journey. Um, give them direction. Guide their steps. Guide their feet. Lord, I just thank you and praise you for everything that you do. I thank you for your love for us that never ends, that you never cast us away that you never leave us, Lord. I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.